0: Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us and may burning witnesses arise. I can't just settle into compromise and complacency and just just grow complicit with, with the agenda of the world or even the world's dream and all of the ambitions of its systems and its ways. I've tasted something, I've seen something, and he's done something to me, and I can't just do what everybody else is doing, and so it creates a tension in the atmosphere, you can feel it, that there's an energy whenever hungry ones get together, there's a tension that fills the room whenever those who have hungry hearts begin to assemble we begin to come together in a corporate way we're not gathering just for gathering's sake alone man I want Jesus but I know that I can get him in the secret place but I know that there's also something in the public place that he has for me and I know that there's things that happen when we're together in a time like this that don't necessarily entirely happen when I'm all alone in the secret place And so it's not either or, as if to assume that there'd be a fight, that there'd be a struggle between the two. But they both fulfill beautiful purposes that God has. And one is not to eclipse the other. It's not to mean that, well, I only want the public thing, and so I'm going to ignore the private thing. Right? We want to take what happens here home with us. But we want to steward and stoke the fire that's happening at home. And then we want to bring it with us. To where the potential of when we gather together in a public way, in a corporate way, it becomes dangerous. It becomes dangerous because we're faithful with the fire at home. And so we become a combustible element whenever we all get together in a public way, in a corporate setting. And you can feel the hunger in the room. So I pray that you came for something this morning. Man, if you, if you didn't come for something this morning, then you still have time. You can let your heart be stirred right now. And you can say, Lord, I didn't come just to come. I didn't get out of bed for no reason. There's other things I could be doing. Everybody gets that. But I came for something specific. Because there's something that I believe my life is supposed to be about. I hope you understand your life is supposed to be about something. So you still have time even while you're sitting there right now to just let your heart be stirred towards the Lord and to say, Lord, I didn't come for nothing, but I came so that you would touch me. I came so that you would put your hand on me one more time, regardless of whether it's been a day, a month, 10 years, five decades. Lord, I know that there's more. I know that you're an inexhaustible well of glory, that you're an endless resource of riches. I know that you never run dry. I know that you never disappoint. I know that you have a drink, that when I drink it, I won't thirst for anything else. I'll look no more because I will have found the pearl of great price. Lord, I'm here, but I'm here and I'm after something specific. And I pray that you're after something specific this morning. Because he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him hear that even in a fresh way he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him and is there a seeking that's alive on the inside is there an asking is there a seeking is there a knocking is there a pursuit that is alive on the inside not for the things of the world but for this man for this man alive from the dead glorified forever radiant in all of his glory and is there a hunger if there's not ask the lord say i'm not hungry the way that i know i should be touch me this morning man i just don't have the desire alive on the inside man i've grown frustrated with the world Man, I've grown frustrated even with God because of all of my suppositions about where he is and what he's doing or what he's not. Like Habakkuk said, God, where are you? Because as I'm surveying the worldly landscape, surely you can't be present. He said, while turmoil seems to abound and wickedness seems to be on the rise and on the increase, and the celebration of sin is saturating the land, God, where are you? Habakkuk is a prophet, but he's frustrated. He's frustrated because he can't figure out what God is doing in time, or in the moment that he is alive. Have you ever had a frustration with God? Have you ever wondered lord where are you what are you doing have you ever wondered is there a purpose to the moment in time that we are all standing and attempting to steward has there ever been a groan that's been produced out of your frustration oh god where are you a groan because you know that there's more A groan because you realize that I can't be satisfied with the circumstances that seem to be saturating the land. This is where Habakkuk was, and Habakkuk is a prophet. So don't assume that just because we have the embodiment or an office or the responsibility of a title that we still can't have the producing of frustration on the inside because of the circumstantial evidence that we are looking to in the world around us. grateful to be in a room with hungry ones this morning pastor Rob and Betsy thank you Jeff and Courtney thank you if you'd like to open your Bible somewhere I guess we could do that as well you could open to Psalm 90 we'll start with verse 12 and just take off running from there David says in Psalm 90 as he's crying out to the Lord In verse 12, we have a verse that is very provoking for me. David says, Lord, teach me to number my days, or depending on your translation, teach us to number our days. Not just because we wanna familiarize ourselves with the calendar, not just because we wanna be proficient, right, in being able to sort of systematically put our life together according to dates and times, Right, we value the sons of Issachar, the discerning of times and seasons and knowing what they should do pertaining to times and seasons, seasons, a prophetic company. But David says, teach me to number my days so that I might be able to present to you a heart of wisdom. I believe that God is going to awaken a groan this morning on the inside of you. And that he's going to put fire on your life. I don't say that in some guest preacher pep rally sort of way. I believe it with all of my heart. That one of the things that the spirit is doing in our hour of history. Is readying this beautiful people that the scripture would call the bride. Ephesians 5 27 tells us that the spirit is the one. The one that is producing the desires of the Father in the earth. And that is to ready a company of people. Paul is referencing it in Ephesians 5 as the church. But the church is also referenced as the bride of Christ. And the Spirit in Ephesians five twenty-seven is readying this beautiful company of people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Spanning over every generation in this age as we know it. This beautiful company of people spanning from the nations. Every skin color, every language. With no spot, no wrinkle, no blemish. And we know that the Spirit is readying the bride that Jesus desires. Because Jesus thinks his bride is to die for. And the bride that Jesus deserves. Because he has laid down his own life and declared it is finished. And we know that the spirit is readying this people because it's one of the purposes of time as we know it. There are a variety of purposes that time is actually fulfilling and David is declaring in Psalm 90, he is, he is suggesting, he is praying it out, he is interceding, he is before God and the desire in his heart, or one of them at least, is Lord, teach me to number my days so that I might be able to present to you a heart of wisdom. David is saying, I want to live my life in a way that you have determined is wise. You see, we don't belong to the world. And so the world doesn't get to determine what is wise for us to do with our lives. You need to hear that. Fox, CNN, MSNBC, they don't get to determine what's wisdom for us. The stock market doesn't get to determine what's wisdom for us. The folks in Silicon Valley don't get to determine what's wisdom for us. Political parties and the affiliation or the allegiance thereof, they don't get to determine what's wisdom for us. David not only recognizes that he wants to live in a way that's wise, but he also understands where the source of this wisdom is to be found. He understands that at the end of our life, There is going to be one set of eyes and one voice that matters. Paul says it best in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are all going to face this judgment seat of Jesus. And Jesus and Jesus alone will have the two most important words that any of us have ever heard in our entire life. Well done. But you see, these two words belong to Jesus. And David understands that, God, I'm going to have to look to you if I actually want to live in a way that you've determined to be wise. That if I want to live my life with wisdom, then I have to turn away from every other source of information, every other place of inspiration, and I have to set my face in a one thing kind of way she read it out during worship psalm 27 this one thing i ask and this is what i will seek david had a singular pursuit because he had a singular eye jesus said when your eye is single then your whole body will be filled with light you will be illuminated you will be radiant we know that david says in psalm 34 that those who look to him They will never be disappointed and they will be radiant. Their faces will glow. We will be the bright ones in the earth that Paul references in Philippians two, that in a dark generation that looks like the night sky, our lives will be hung in place or framed into position like burning bright stars. David says, I wanna live in a way that you say is wise. But in order for me to do that, I actually have to come to you. I have to look to you. My life has to be deeply planted. I have to be anchored into God's presence. Because it's only in the place of presence that I then have access to know what is God's purposes. I have to come to God to know what God wants. I have to come to God to find out what God is doing. And this is what David is crying out for. He says I know that there's a lot of ways to live and you realize it too there's a lot of ways to live there's a lot of stuff that we can be doing in fact Jesus said it himself you can do nothing apart from me you can do a whole lot of nothing you can do a whole lot of nothing it'll be something but in the end it'll mean nothing meaning it'll only satisfy an immediate agenda But everything that is immediate is not directly connected to something that is ultimate. And Solomon says, as he's surveying over life in the book of Ecclesiastes, I love the book of Ecclesiastes, by the way. As he's looking over the landscape of life, he says, all of this is complete nonsense. Like this is foolishness. Vanity, vanity. It's all hollow, it's bankrupt, it's going nowhere. Men live in a perpetual place of frustration and bondage. And it's bondage because we become a prisoner to the immediacy of our lives. Solomon says, I've surveyed everything. I am considered to be, whether he knew it in the moment or not, Solomon is considered to be one of, if not the wisest man who's ever lived. And his wisdom brought him to the brink of madness and utter insanity. Because he's looking over the landscape of life. And he says, this can't be all that there is. Have you ever wondered to yourself, what does all of this even mean? Like, what is it doing? What is it supposed to be producing? What are we supposed to be after? What is it that God is satisfying by having me to be alive in a particular time period? This is the search that Solomon is on. And he says, man, you want to talk properties? You want to talk real estate? I'm the man. I've got kingdom. I've got empires. I've got palaces. Solomon's net worth would have been estimated at a trillionaire. He's like, man, you want to talk about money? I've got money. You want to talk about women? Solomon, Solomon has 300 wives and over 700 concubines. Why? I don't know. But But Solomon comes to a very important conclusion in Ecclesiastes 3. He says there's a time and a season for every activity under the heavens, uh, a time to plant and a time to reap, or a time to sow and a time to reap. There's a time to uh, put down and a time to tear up. There's a time for this and a time for that. And he comes to this conclusion. He says, for God has branded the hearts of men with a sense of eternity. That God has branded the hearts of men with a sense that there is something more than the moment that you and I are living in. That there is a sense of forever that exists on the other side of what we are living in that is referenced as now. That today... Is referenced against or being used as a resource against what we would consider to be that great and terrible day that prophets prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. And the reason that it's great and terrible is because it will be great for some and terrible for others. You see, because time is serving a variety of purposes. And one of those purposes is to ready a people that are going to love Jesus, be married to him forever, and then serve alongside of him as a suitable companion or helper. We call this the bride. That Jesus is longing to be married to forever the people that he laid his life down for. This is one of the purposes of time. This is one of the purposes of time. And it is this people that God is now using in the earth throughout the nations, conforming them to his image so that they can be ready to be married to his son, but then also readying the nations for the return of his son as king. This is what we understand. Our lives are being readied for eternity as we are being conformed into the image of Jesus, right? This is what we all that have come to believe have been predestined for. At least if we believe the Bible, then that's what Romans 8 tells us. For those that God foreknew, he also predestined. Romans 8, 29. And he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. So we understand that we are on a journey in time To become more like Jesus. So that at the end of time, we can marry Jesus and be with him forever, ruling in all of creation alongside of him. Well, that's exciting to me. It doesn't look exciting to these folks. I'm going to look this way. I'll come back to you guys. You'll get another chance. So we're being readied to be with Jesus forever. And as we're doing that, our lives have been planted on the inside of time. And there's a frustration that we bear while we are here, here and now. There's a frustration that we bear because God has given us his spirit. Don't think that being filled with the Holy Ghost makes everything easy. Don't think that being filled with the Holy Ghost makes everything simple. Things are not easy, and things are definitely not simple. They're not easy because we live in tension. We live in tension because we know that there are things that God longs to do, And yet at times, we are frustrated by this tension of what we know, what we believe, what we expect, and then what we don't experience in the fullest measure of all of the things we know, believe, and expect. Because we have the Spirit, and we know that with God all things are possible. And we know that Jesus said if we would believe, that we would see the glory of God. And yet at times, like Habakkuk, we find ourselves on the ground, looking at chaos. We find ourselves on the ground, looking at the increase of sin and compromise. And while the days are growing to be more dark, there is a growing tension and frustration on the inside of the saints, or at least there should be. There should be a growing tension and a sense or a source of frustration because things are not the way that God desires. And because of that, we should not be okay with the way that things are. You shouldn't be able to look at the world and think that this is normal. You shouldn't be able to look around at all of the circumstantial evidence around you and declare that things are okay. Things are not okay. Evil, corruption, wickedness, darkness is on the rise. We understand that people are calling things that are just purely insanity, corruption, and evil. They're calling it good, and they're taking things that are good and calling them bad and corrupt. But we also do understand that Jesus said that it will be as in the days of Noah when the Son of Man cracks the skies. That Jesus is going to arrive in what looks like the darkest hour of human history. In a moment when there seems to be no hope. When everything grows in a wickedness and darkness. Then we know that the sign of the Son of Man will appear and he will come riding upon the clouds. But we are not just supposed to simply tuck our tail between our legs and stick our head in the ground and try to ride it out until Jesus comes back because we're not the underdog we're not the underdog you see God is going to raise up a powerful people and they're going to be powerful because they're going to cast off every other lover they're going to be powerful because the love of the world is going to be conquered in their hearts. They're going to be powerful because the love of self will have been deconstructed and demolished on the inside. We love to preach and pray and quote Revelation 12, 11, for they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. But that's part A. This is when you guys are going to get your second chance to shout. <laughs> Loving not their own lives even unto the point of death. A people that have conquered self-love are going to be the catalyst for revival in our hour of history. A people that have overcome the love of the world are going to be the potent product that God begins to populate the nations with that are going to see awakening on the inside of God's people. Because in this hour of frustration, God is producing a tension that is bringing us into intercession. Do not allow your season of frustration to go to waste. Do not allow your season of frustration to go to waste. Because your season of tension is supposed to be unto something. Your season of tension is supposed to be producing something, because God is not wasting time. Have you ever thought that you had wasted time in your life? Have you ever looked at a particular season of your life and it was hard to come to the conclusion of what the purpose was in a certain season? It was hard to deduce, like, man, what was God doing? What was that for? What was it unto? There didn't seem to be any significance. It wasn't really that awe-inspiring. There didn't seem to be a lot of results. Nothing really measured up when I laid it all out. It didn't measure against the bottom line. Have you ever had a season that was just frustrating? Don't allow your season of frustration to go to waste. Because your frustration is supposed to be producing something on the inside. Because in many instances, God will use seasons of frustration to push us into prayer. And it is the intercession that arises out of frustration that releases the prayer that gives God permission to participate in our process. Because there is so much self-sufficiency. There is so much self-dependency. There are so many crutches and vices and dependencies and other things that we look to other than the resource of the abiding Holy Ghost and the activity of prayer and intercession. And there are so many other things that we know to do other than pray. You don't have to amen me. I already know it's true. I'm not saying it suggestively. <laughs> there are so many other things that we know to do other than pray. But God will use our seasons of pressing to push us into prayer. Prayer. God will use our seasons of pressing and tension and frustration to bring us to the place where we abandon all of the other perceived successful resources, where we sever from our heart's intentions and desires all of the crutches, all of the dependencies, all of the other things and stuff that we think are serving a purpose or are being leveraged towards an end that God desires and he will reduce us down to the simple place of prayer, groaning, travailing, intercession, longing. Man, when was the last time we sat in a room all by ourselves and the spirit of intercession came on us? And I don't say the spirit of intercession as if it's some other spirit like Casper the ghost. The spirit of intercession is the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is the high priest and he is the great eternal intercessor. He's at the right hand, alive forever, ever interceding for you and for I. And Paul says in Romans 8 that it's the spirit alive on the inside that is interceding with groaning and travailing and utterances, which in many cases can't even be communicated with intelligible speech. Man, when was the last time we got along with God and a groan hit us so hard that I didn't even really know what to say anymore? But I realized that my power wasn't in my own communication in the place in prayer. That I realized that my greatest resource wasn't my articulation or how many words it was that I knew I could pray out in a fanciful way. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, he told them in chapter 6, don't be like those guys who think that they can go out and with a loud voice and a lot of fancy words that that's what's going to get the job done. But God has a way of bringing us into broken places. He has a way of putting the squeeze play on us in life in a way where we just can't produce by our own resources, where we're now frustrated because of our own inability to produce another outcome other than the the squeeze that we're experiencing. And we're in a moment right now in our nation and throughout the nations, where we understand that the nations are raging. The nations are raging, Psalm 2. But when the nations are raging, what are we supposed to be doing? When the nations are raging, ask for the nations. While they're raging, we are asking. This is prayer. While they're raging, we are asking. This is intercession. While they're raging, we are asking. This is the groaning, the travailing of God. He's doing something throughout the nations to ready them for the return of His Son, even in the midst of their raging against Him and His purposes. And God is doing something right now on a global landscape. And it's affecting you and me in a very individual and personal way because there is a lot of frustration and a lot of pain and a lot of pressure that's being applied to our lives. And if we're not careful, we will get caught up in the current or the swirl of the world and all of the chaos that they are longing to see people's lives be devastated by. If we are not careful, we will get tossed to and fro. And a double-minded man becomes unstable in all of his ways. But this season of frustration is supposed to be producing something in you. It's supposed to be producing that cry that gives God permission to do with you what he's always wanted to do with you. Hear me. This season of tension is to press you to the point where the prayer that God has always wanted to get out of you begins to rise on the inside of you. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 1 that Hannah had grown to the climactic place in frustration, that she was tired of being provoked She was tired of being prodded. She was tired of being ridiculed. She was tired of living in envy and desperation. But her desperation and her frustration brought out of her the intercession that God needed in order to participate in her process. And there was a vow that came out of Hannah's season of tension. There was a prayer that came across the lips of Hannah, that gave God permission to get involved in her process. And this is where you are and where I am. God is longing for the intercession out of his people in this hour of history that is going to give him the platform to participate in your life the way that he's longing to reveal himself as all-powerful. Frustration should be producing intercession. At least this is what the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 5. With loud cries and tears. Has anybody lived there? He lifted his voice to the one that he knew could save him. I know that you could change all of this in a minute. So if you're not, that means that it's got to be serving a purpose that's greater than my own intellectual understanding. Because there is a rock that is higher than I, David says. There is someone and something that is greater than the I. Someone that's greater than my own interpretation. Someone that's greater than my own ability to resolve and analyze and perceive my own human fleshly understanding. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And Jesus, with loud cries and tears, lifts his voice to the one that he knows is able to save him. But he learns obedience through what he suffers because the priestly posture is when we allow pressure to push us to prayer teach me how to pray as they walked with jesus they saw him open the eyes of the blind the ears of the deaf, he raised the dead and multiplied food but the one thing they asked him as they watched his life they didn't say teach us how to work miracles they didn't say teach me how to cast out devils they didn't say teach me how to articulate what's on the father's heart in a way that's going to allow my influence and fame to spread throughout the region as they watched him live they said there's something that you have that we want we want your prayer life let me ask you this does anybody want yours they wanted jesus's prayer life because they understood that his prayer life was the power source that his intimate intercession times of getting away with the father turning away from all of what the world and the circumstantial evidence wanted to inform him and inspire him unto was his recourse because it was his resource. Jesus getting away and getting into his father's face, getting into his father's voice. Prayer should not be something that is boring to us. If prayer is boring, it's because you're not actually looking at him. You're spending too much time looking at yourself, looking at your needs, looking at the impossibilities, looking at the frustrations, looking at what the world is saying. Because I'll tell you this, he's not boring. And when they watched him live, they said, we want your prayer life. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that pressure should serve a purpose. Pressure should serve a purpose. Pressure should push us to prayer. Teach me how to pray in the hour of history that I'm living in. Teach me how to pray under intense persecution. What's the hour of history and the intercession that you are longing to have rise out of your people? Give us language. Give us language in the place of prayer. This is one of the implications of teach me how to pray. Give me language. I wanna pray what you want and not just what I want. I wanna pray what you're doing and not just what I wanna be doing. Give me language. Don't just let the press and the persecution and the pain not actually be connected to all things that you are working together for good, but let it serve your purpose. And Hannah is pressed to the ultimate place of desperation where she realizes my own individual effort is never going to get this done. She's broken of all of her self-dependency, of all of her self-sufficiency. She's broken of all of the worldly, fleshly resources that she has available to her. She's tried and tried, and tried, and it's just not getting the job done. Man, have you ever felt like you were swinging in the air, like you were throwing darts in the dark, like you were just swinging a hammer at a wall and it just wasn't coming down, that you were praying and praying, but that there was some sort of an illusion of a glass ceiling where either it was your voice just wasn't getting through or it was that God had grown in disinterest to where it is that you are and the things that you're going through. This is where Habakkuk was. This is definitely where Hannah was. But in a moment of ultimate frustration, a vow comes out of Hannah. And this vow begins to rise. And Hannah says, if you will do with me what I know you want to do with me, I'll give it back to you. I won't try to take any of it for myself. I won't try to let it serve any self purpose that I have. If you'll do with me what I know your word is towards me, then I'll know that this season of frustration will not have been in vain. You see, because sometimes our season of frustration is to break us from the tendency that we have To allow what God does with us and for us to become something that serves a purpose that belongs to only us. (laughs) If God did with you what He's promising to do with you, would you take any of the credit? Would you glory in it for yourself? Would you allow it to be unto your own name, unto your own resource? What are we really after? Are we really after influence? Are we really after fame? Are we really after financial gain? Are we really after the material things of the world? Are we really trying to leverage the word of the Lord in our own lives towards purposes that we have that are outside of purposes that God has? Are we longing to see the manifestation or the materialization of things that God has said so that we can benefit from things that God is doing? Do we have this immediate desire that's not connected to an eternal purpose? Do we have things that we long to do and be a part of and see happen in our lives that are just going to get burned up in the fires when we stand before Jesus? Hannah has to be brought to the place where she is willing to pray out. God, if you use me to do it, I'll let it serve your purpose and not mine. And there's a cry rising on the inside of God's people in this season that's saying, God, we just want to see you do it. My name doesn't have to be attached to it. My face doesn't have to have any type of association. But I know that you're wanting to release glory in this hour of history. I know that you're wanting to raise up a powerful company of people That are going to walk as a living demonstration they're going to have signs and wonders and miracles they're going to be stirred with great fire because they're going to be possessed by the holy ghost lord we want to see you do something in our city we want to see you do something in our nation we want to see an outbreak of the glory of god they have it cover the nations of the earth and hannah's brought to the point where the vow comes off her lips God, if you'll do it, I'll give it back to you. But her season of frustration was not in vain because it produced the prayer that God had always been looking for that granted him the proper access in order to be involved in her process the way that he had always been looking for. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the wilderness of Midian after having grown up in the right place, having access to the right platform and resource. We find out in Exodus 2 that Moses begins to behave like the system that he was raised in. It says that one day he goes out and he sees an Egyptian and a Hebrew. They're quarreling. They're engaged in some sort of hostile struggle. The the idea is that they're fighting. And Moses involves himself, and he kills the Egyptian, and he buries him. You see, Moses begins to behave like the culture in which he was raised. And so God has to pull him out because he's not yet ready to fulfill the purpose that God has. Because he is in them, but he is also like them. And he has to pull him out. This is 2 Corinthians six seventeen. My people come out from among them and be separate. This is the prayer in John 17. We are supposed to be in the world but not be of the world. Moses knew the what but he had not yet learned the way. And so God had to pull him out so that he could break him from all of the influence of the culture and the system around him because what was around him got inside of him and Moses started behaving like those that he was supposed to be a deliverer to. (laughs) Some of our eyes just got super big. Moses started behaving like those that he was supposed to be delivering. And so there was a time when he had to be called out from among them. And he spent a long season in frustration thinking that his purpose had bypassed him. He spent a long season in obscurity and brokenness thinking that God had forgotten about him. You see, sometimes it takes a long time to get the conditioning that has happened to us out of us. (laughs) Sometimes it takes a long time In order for the Spirit to process us to the place where we've been broken in an authentic way, not just by way of articulation, not just where we know how to say the right things, but where we've actually become the right thing because of all of the previous influence that had made us what we were has now been broken off of us. Moses is behaving like them. And because he's behaving like them, he does not actually have authentic power to be a deliverer to them. We're supposed to be in it, but not of it. But we need God to do something on the inside for that to actually be real. So that we're not just caught up in the swirl of the system of the age. So that we're not just jumping on every new movement and applying every new hashtag to all of our posts. So that we're not just caught up in all of the corruption and all of the hostility. So that we're not jumping on every bandwagon of pictures and memes and photos and ideas and language that everybody is spewing and swirling throughout our nation right now. There's something of authenticity that actually has to happen on the inside so that we can be among them but not behave like them. And Moses has to be pulled out. He has to be pulled out so that what was growing on the inside can be pulled out. And he spends a long time in frustration. And you hear it in his voice because in Exodus 3 we find that the fire finds Moses. After 40 years of brokenness, the fire comes to find him. After 40 years of feeling like he's failed his purpose, the fire comes to find him. After 40 years, I'm sure he's a man of thinking that God had forgotten about the things that he said to him. 40 years of feeling like he had his moment, but he failed because he just didn't know how to live it out the right way. 40 years of having to wrestle in the tension of am I ever going to get another shot? Is God ever going to circle back around and come looking for me again? Is he ever going to do what he said? Is he faithful? Was I off? Did I miss it? Did I just have the wrong idea of who I was or the things that I carried? Did I lose my way? And after 40 years, the fire comes to find him. And it says that Moses is in a routine place, but something extraordinary happens because he notices that there's, there's a bush that's on fire. And, and it's actually really special because it says Moses turns aside. The idea is that Moses turns away from everything else that could have possibly gained traction in his attention. And he gave all of his attention to the fire. He gave all of his attention to the fire. And when he gave all of his attention to the fire, a voice came out of the fire. And the voice reminded Moses of things that God had said. Obviously, it was God speaking to Moses. And the voice brought back to Moses' attention, the things that God longed to do with Moses. And you hear the frustration in Moses' voice, because Moses says, why would you come looking for me now? Now I don't have anything to offer, good. Now I'm old, and I don't even feel like I have the strength to be able to see it all the way through good. Now I can't even speak. My my season has even affected the way that I speak. Why wouldn't you come to me 40 years ago when I was a man who was powerful in word and deed? Now my season has even affected the way that I speak. My speech isn't the same. I can't even talk the same. I'm no longer impressive. I'm past my prime. Now's not the moment. Go find somebody else. I don't have anything to offer. And God says, that's exactly why you're ready now. Because your season has broken you of your self-sufficiency. Because your season has broken you of your self-dependency. Because your season has deconstructed all of the self-satisfaction that you had with your own gifting, with your own intellect, with your own power, with your own prime of life, with your own relational resources, with all of your own abilities perceived to be able to get the job done. Because you realize now that you actually can't get the job done, that now maybe you'll actually realize that I'm the only one that can get the job done. And moses you're ready now because now you'll rely upon the fire and no longer upon yourself the fire comes to find moses in a moment when moses has nothing else to depend on but the fire of god that found him in the middle of nowhere and moses puts all of his attention on the fire Moses sets his face towards the fire, and the fire redefines him, and the fire redirects him. Man, are you willing to give all of your attention to the fire? Are you willing to turn away from every other thing, every other place, every other resource, every other self thing that you've ever had in your life, and give all of your attention to the burning Because I believe that God is going to find some of us this morning with fire. I believe that God is going to find some of us this morning with fire. And that the fire that God touches our life with is going to produce on the inside the groan that God has and not the groan that the world has. The groan that God has and not the groan that you and I have but that the fire is going to raise us up and the fire is going to redefine us and the fire is going to commission us to serve God's purpose in this hour of history. And God told Moses, I'm raising you up and I'm sending you because the cries of my covenant people keep coming up to me. And Moses, I'm going to send you Back into the midst of them. I'm going to send you back to be among them because I long to deliver them. I long to deliver them. I long to deliver them. I believe that God is going to put fire on us for every space and place of influence that life has to offer where you're going to actually realize that it's time to wake up to God's purpose. This is what David cries out. Teach me to number my days. I have to realize that there is a purpose for time so that I don't waste time. So that I don't waste time doing what the world says I should be doing so that I don't waste time doing what all of my friends or relational resources say I should be doing. But it's time for me to turn away from every other and to get face to face with God. It's time for me to turn away from every other and give my attention to the fire that's on the inside. It's time for me to break all of the influence and inspiration from every other so that I can present to you a heart of wisdom. I want to present to you a heart of wisdom. And I know that the wisest thing that I can do is to look at you and trust you. And to say, God, here I am. If you'll touch me, then I'll let you send me. But if you won't touch me, then don't send me. This is what moses cries out later in his life because he learned something that day in front of the bush if you won't touch me then don't send me he said lord don't send us up from here if your presence is not going to go with us. Because if you will not actually be in the midst of us, then there will be nothing that will differentiate us from everybody else. There will be no distinction. There will be no power. There will be no glory. We will be just like the rest of them. But he said, Lord, we wanna see your glory. We wanna see your glory. I believe that there's a pressure that's been pushing all of us to cry out for the glory of God I believe that there's a pain and a persecution that while the nations have been raging that is pressing us you and I into priestly posture where with loud cries and tears We are lifting our voice. And that this season is actually producing the intercession that God desires. That this season is actually quickening our hearts. Causing us to come alive to God in the place of prayer. And the embodied spirit that's alive and resides on the inside. Is beginning to groan, travail, intercede. Because Paul said that the Spirit that's in you prays for you and intercedes with groanings, utterances, at times unintelligible speech, in perfect. Alignment with the will of the father the groan of the spirit on the inside is for your kingdom come your will be done the groan of the spirit on the inside is not to fulfill our will but it's in alignment with the father's will the groan of the spirit on the inside is I know that the Father has a purpose, and that that purpose right now is being worked out throughout the nations of the earth. And the Spirit's groaning is synchronized with what's on and in the Father's heart. Unveil the beauty of Jesus. Proclaim the gospel to the nations. Make them ready. Offer them repentance before the King returns. Form your people. Ready your bride. Get the lovers of Jesus ready to where they'll love him more than every other. And while the spirit is groaning, the Father is releasing fire for those of us that would look to him. Moses came back down from the mountain and his face was on fire. (laughs) Forty days of face-to-face contact in the presence of God put a fire on Moses' face that you could not fake. It put a fire on Moses' face that you could not buy. It put a fire on Moses' face that his Facebook and Instagram profile could not leverage. It was face to face in the presence of God that put fire on Moses that when he came back down and was in the midst of them, they were afraid of him. (laughs) They were afraid of him because he had fire on him. They were afraid of him and did not know what to do with him because of what being in the presence of God, the effect that God's presence had on him. Man, we need to get into the presence. We need to get face to face with God. And we need to let what happens to us in the presence actually have a real effect on us. We need to let what happens to us in the presence actually put real fire on us. We need to let what happens to us in the presence be now what gives us or grants us our influence whenever we come back down from the mountain, enter back in to the world system and circumstances. And God is preparing a people that he can plant in every space and place in every space and place to burn and to groan. In every space and place to burn and to groan. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, Visit our website, earningones.org, or download our app.